Support comes from the San Juan Islands. Spring in the San Juans can provide time to slow down and savor the scenery of quiet beaches, hiking, biking, and whale watching on Lopez, Orcas, and San Juan Island and Friday Harbor. Learn more at visitsanjuans.com. Set your mind to island time. I'm Libby Denkman. Last December, we brought you the story of a team that had found what they believed to be a historic shipwreck, the SS Pacific, off the coast of Washington near Cape Flattery. We believe that we will find bottles of wine with the cork still in them. We believe that we'll find potentially canned food items that still are preserved. Leather, we believe we'll find cloth. We may find things made of paper. Well, little did we know at the time, the shipwreck searchers had been keeping another major discovery in their back pocket. Apparently, they didn't want to tip their hand that they had their sights set on another ship. But now that their salvage claims for the wreck look more secure, they've finally revealed their other find. And it's got big historical significance for the Puget Sound. Soundside producer Alec Cowan went out to take a look. How's it going, guys? In the long maritime history of Seattle... Numerous ships have wound up at the bottom of Elliott Bay. The dark, deep, and busy waters make the floor of Puget Sound largely inaccessible. And for older wrecks, ones from Seattle's early years, the restless currents and abundant sea life can swallow the stories of the past. But an intrepid few are still on the hunt for murky wrecks and murkier history before their legends and opportunities are forever gone. Like local expeditionist, Jeff Hummel. We know that when it hit the bottom, it sort of made like a crater in, in the bottom of Elliott Bay. And so the question is like, well, how did the bow, you know, get hit? Did it, you know, sort of get run over more by the, the vessel? At this point, we don't don't know the answer to that question yet. Today, I'm headed with his crew to the center of Elliott Bay, packed to the gills with sonar and robotics. We're searching for a ship that's eluded verification for decades, but Jeff has a pretty good hunch that he's found its final resting place. After 30 minutes of boating, we drop some stabilizers to begin our search. The crew preps and releases the side-scan sonar, which is how they'll locate the ship before dropping the more complicated and more expensive remote-operated vehicle. We head back to the cabin of the ship, where we huddle around a set of five screens showing various measurements above and below the water. So you're 15 off there. Yeah, Jeff, we're 50 feet off the line itself. After 20 or so minutes, we can actually see something. Small blips that start to form a broken oval on the sonar. It's a bona fide shipwreck. Hey, Jeff! Yeah. <laughs> There's the ship. Yeah, we're right over it. We're right on it, actually. So. We're at 80 meter range here. Yeah, Ron, you, you hit it really well. Well done. <laughs> With the location of the wreck locked down, we hold our position as the crew readies the ROV. Jeff wants to get a camera in the water to get a closer look. Yeah, you want to go, you're pointed south, you want to fly out to the north. As the operator drives farther down, the camera feed looks like it's going into hyperspace, rushing through specks of dirt and bubbles. It's kind of like watching a Titanic documentary, with the bonus of a little seasickness. There it is. It's right there. So we're basically right on the bow of the, the boat. When we find the wreck itself, it's hard to tell there's even a ship. The hull is covered top to bottom in white sea anemones. And those, the bright things you can see sticking upwards, each one of those is a major timber you know, in the hull. Jeff points to a boiler, a bow, what basically look like low-resolution blobs to me. But to his trained eyes, this wreck is the SS Dix, a ship of tragic legend. And if it is, 
That means this wreck has been resting here, at the bottom of Elliott Bay, for the last 100 years. 1906 was a vastly different Seattle. Matt McCauley is the president of the Northwest Shipwreck Alliance and a longtime friend of Jeff Hummel's. It's fair to say he's a bit of a history buff. There's a huge reliance on what had been known as the Mosquito Fleet, which are foot passenger steam vessels that used to carry folks to and from the different spots on Puget Sound in advance of automobiles, interstate highways, and things of that nature. On November 18, 1906, passengers boarded the steamship Dix at Seattle's Coleman Dock. They were headed to Port Blakely, a timber town on Bainbridge Island. Around 150 people, men, women, and children, were shuffled aboard. But after leaving the terminal, the captain of the ship left to collect fares from passengers, a somewhat odd job for a man of his position. He left a mate in charge of the vessel, and essentially the mate turned, you know, the wrong direction. No, no one will ever know why. The mate piloted the SS Dix across the course of the SS Genie, about three times its size. It was also heavy with ore it was hauling down to Tacoma for smelting. The Dix threw its engines in reverse, hoping to avoid the towering ship in front of it, but to no avail. The two collided. The upper part of the Dix was pushed over to the side with the leverage being such that suddenly, you know, through the open windows and doors, water started spilling in and wasn't that it was a high speed impact, it was just the angle pushed the dicks over such that it quickly flooded and went to the bottom before everybody could get out. The people who weren't able to make it out went to the bottom, roughly a thousand feet of water, pretty quickly. There were efforts made very, you know, to get out and try to find the wreckage and, and see if there was anything anybody could do. But at that depth, it was it was hopeless. And somewhere between 39 and 54 people died when the ship was struck roughly out off Alki Point. It is, the, sadly, the largest loss of life in the history of Puget Sound Maritime. For the last 100 years, the actual location of the Dix has been a subject of debate. In 2011, a local company claimed it had found the wreck in Elliott Bay. At the time, news of the discovery hit the front page of local papers. But after further exploration, the company said, well, actually, we were probably wrong. We don't have the right ship. That company, by the way, was OceanGate. In this past year, one of its own submersibles was the subject of a massive recovery operation after a tragic implosion deep underwater. But as for the Dicks, the mystery of its location may finally be solved. Matt says the crew first stumbled upon the site around eight years ago, and they weren't the first to have found it, but no one identified it. At the time, it was generally accepted that this particular wreck was just some run-of-the-mill schooner. In fact, for years, Rockfish has been using it as practice to hone their sonar skills for other, more technical searches on the ocean. But then one day, something about it clicked with Jeff. And it was when I was looking at that, you know, we used to call it the Nix, which stood for not dicks, right? So I, and then finally I'm like, well, wait a minute, this could be the, the dicks, right? They began comparing their scans of the wreck against the historical photo of the dicks. And that's when they had an epiphany. We realized that everyone was looking at it backwards. So everyone thought that that stern was actually the bow. And so when you would compare it to the photos, nothing lines up until you flip it around and you realize that the front, which is kind of crushed a little bit, 
um, is is what, what people are calling the stern. And when you do that, you flip it around, then you see that all of the, the features in the photo, you know, the major structural items all line up perfectly, and it is the dicks. Of course, lining up photos, no matter how uncanny, isn't exactly a smoking gun. If the site is just a blob of sea anemone and scattered wood beams, how can they be certain that this is the dicks? Like, for real this time. Matt McCauley agrees. They can't be 100% sure. Based on its, its size, its depth, its position, its visual appearance, that of it from which we can discern, it is highly likely that it is the dicks. Is it possible that we've made a mistake? Yes, it is possible because there's no bell, there's no you know, piece of china or something. You know, If the name had been painted on, it's long gone by now because the marine borers have eaten up most of the wood. But it's the right size and the right place and looks to be about the right age. Essentially, even if they don't know for certain that this wreck is the dicks, they're hoping to make as strong a case as anyone so far. But even if there was some magical piece of proof, there's a wrinkle in identifying this particular wreck. Legally speaking, the way to confirm a wreck is to have a piece of it salvaged and arrested in federal court. The group is already doing that kind of salvage work on the deadliest wreck in Pacific Northwest history, the SS Pacific, which wrecked on the ocean in 1875. But the group views the dicks as a different situation entirely. They want to leave the wreck alone and mark its location as a kind of gravesite. As of now, there isn't a legal mechanism that would allow them to do that. They're currently working with the state to potentially find that legal solution. But regardless, their current plan is to leave the wreck be. And it's kind of ironic, because that philosophy means they may never truly know if this is, in fact, the dicks. And Matt, he's made peace with that. Out of respect to, to those families, we're not touching or doing anything without having, having that done in accordance with an archaeological plan that has been drafted, you know, by credentialed marine archaeologists and, you know, that are going to be able to direct that and study it and, you know, publish it and, and everything else. So we're going to take that extra effort because we don't want to be, you know, looked at decades from now, you know, it's the guys that screwed up this opportunity. While finding the infamous wreck definitely comes with some prestige, Matt and Jeff say their work here isn't about treasure hunting. Their goal right now is to make the strongest case they can and hope that their efforts to confirm the wreck can find some kind of closure for the story of the SS Dicks. After the wreck, families weren't able to furnish proofs of death which rippled into problems with funerals and life insurance. A century later, those wounds can't be healed. But Matt's hopeful that marking the site can at least memorialize what and who was lost on November 18th, 1906. It's kind of sad that there are people that perished on the dicks that nobody necessarily remembers. They just sort of vanished. Maybe after a while, family in the East, if there was one, they just stopped hearing from them. And in those days... If you stopped hearing from your loved one who went west, usually it was just, uh, I guess, maybe they're gone, you know, even as late as 1906. So that is why nobody has ever been able to pin down exactly how many lives were lost, which also adds to the poignancy of the whole thing. It's like, you know, people were gone and forgotten like like they'd never existed. You know, so there's there's it's really sad, the whole thing. For Soundside on KUOW, I'm Alec Cowan. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. 
NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.